Then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to have some fun today. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Lou. Lou's over there. We have, we have gathered here to tell you that you are not the people you have been waiting for. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yes. Why in the world would I say that? Well, because there has become... I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this politely if there's even a polite way to say this. <laughs> there has become this attitude that everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who has come before me has in some shape, form, or fashion been a nitwit. I don't know, as I smack my microphone, I don't know where this idea has come from. I do not know why we tolerate this idea. I don't know why we think we are the greatest, smartest people who have ever lived. I blame iPhones. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Wait, I have an iPhone. Wait a minute. I resemble that remark. Um, but in all seriousness, the other thing that I'm noticing is whenever we get into that attitude and we say that I'm the smart one, mm -hmm. the rest of the people before me are the rube, then what we, are, what we typically end up doing is we lose our biblical foundation and we put something else in its place. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a good thing to remember as we discuss today's issues. Okay? Well, you, you always say that no one lies to themselves more than they, ding, do, ding, ding, ding. they do themselves. So, I mean, I guess that would be one reason or at least one theory of why we, people always think that they're smarter than the people that came before them. It's just, I don't know. I'm on the other side. I mean, I, when See, I'm reading... I'm, when I'm reading these books about guys that have come before me in theology, and I and I recognize that they they know multiple languages and and the things that they had to do to to learn, even before there was like a printing press. I mean, it's just amazing how how much more how much smarter they are. See, it's not just that; it's it's being willing to recognize that there are people who I think are wrong and people who I disagree with, but that doesn't make them nitwits. So case in point, there are lots of things with Norman Geisler that I disagree with theologically. Um, his eschatology, his understanding of the Ordo Salutis, his uh, cooperation with uh, Roman Catholics and things like that. There's a lot of things that Norman Geisler and I would disagree with. Yeah. Norman Geisler is not a moron. No. Absolutely. His book on apologetics, I kid you not, I had to read it three times. And I was just like, oh, 
that's what he means. And then, like, I was, like, midway through my, my second reading when I started to understand it. And then the third reading, I was like, I can now actually interact with this book and apply what it's teaching because it makes sense. I mean, I would read whole paragraphs and be like, huh? Yeah, he's he's scholarly what? for sure. I think mean, I'm, I'm I'm reading this going. I have I I read that whole paragraph and I have no idea what that man just said. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was taking notes on a dry erase board and then looking at my notes and then looking at the chapter and looking at my notes, going, okay. Now I still think in areas that he's wrong. Yeah. But he's brilliant, and I need to understand that and interact with an actual foundational level argument, not just go, well, I'm here and you're there, so I'm smarter than you. Mm. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Lou's <laughs> like, what was that voice? Yeah, he's channeling something here. Um, Center <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> there you go. With that all said, let's lay our biblical foundation first. Okay. Don't ask me what that voice was. First. I just hit the high notes there. Yeah. All right, I'm drying out already. We're in trouble. So let's lay our biblical foundation first, and then let's I, let's use that as a means of interacting with what we're talking about. Sound good? Got it. So let's rewind here in Romans 4. <clears throat> what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. All right, why does Paul say that? Let's understand that Abraham has a, a dual progeny. Is, is, I think that's a fair way to say it. That there is an Israel of skin and an Israel of faith. Is that fair? Sure. So don't and don't don't panic. This is not just a Pauline idea that he because Paul builds on this later on in Romans nine, ten, and eleven. But this is something he takes from the teachings of the Gospels. This is something he takes out of the, the history of the church in the New Testament. So John the Baptist said. Well, the crowds are coming to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers. This is your church growth strategy right here. Insult the people. (laughs) You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, don't say this in other words, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So in other words, you can be of Abraham without being of Abraham. You can physically be like my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was one of Isaac's you know, kids. I, you, you could run down that line right. and still not be one of Abraham's offspring because you are not of faith. Well, the very fact that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham should key people in on what it means to be a son of Abraham. He is going to be the father of many nations. Ding, 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 ding. Don't get too far ahead, though. We're going to get there. So why won't we have anything to boast for, just like Abraham does not have anything to boast of? Well, your great salvation verse, Ephesians 2, this is one of those you should put in the back of your head, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. By the way, the, that is your faith. Your faith is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Mm. Well, you may be saying to yourself, but, 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 but my New Testament tells me that I should be doing works. It does. Mm-hmm. James 2. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. James is getting on about, it's not the works that save. It's the works resulting from the faith that demonstrate that, we'll go King Jimmy, that thou art saved. (laughs) We need to drop a good art and a thou periodically. Yes. I went to middle school with a kid named Art. I did too. 
just random. He was a basketball coach's kid. Nice guy. Yeah. That has nothing to do with anything. Just okay. random things. Just that random. How many arts do you know, really? Uh, <laughs> See, that's exactly I, my yeah, point. Yeah, maybe two in my life. Like, you I'm meet one, and you're like, I met a dude named Art. Yeah, well, I'm 50, so I'm you, you, to, you sound like a back. seal. Congratulations. Yeah. Art, 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 art. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's going to be one of those days, people. So, there's no boasting because you're not accomplishing anything. God, who has granted you faith, is then strengthening you by the work of the Holy Spirit so that you will accomplish things in him. Right. Notice that. So who gets the credit here? Well, it's God. God does, God. not me. It's, it's a work of salvation that he, he himself wrought. Ding, ding, ding. He did it. Exactly. Um, we didn't. We couldn't. We were broken. Um, we it's were sold under sin. I, I mean, how is, it, how is it that we think that we could bring anything to the table? It's very difficult when you read the scriptures. All you really have to do is look around you today, and you will see a broken humanity that is so far out of whack that you wonder how anything good could come of it. Well, because I lie to me, because I like me better right. than everybody else. Right. Right. That's why we need to rely on the Word of God and, and on His Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and to, to bring it back into remembrance. And, and how can you remember something if you've never read it? And, and so that's one of the problems I always have with, with, with people who are super spiritual and they're like, ah, I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need to read that. You know, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring it, to, to bring it back into remembrance for you. And that's the point Paul's going to make next. Because right. in case you want to disagree with Paul, he says, what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is your Genesis 15, 6. And that's literally what it says. He believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Right. There's no credit given to Abraham because of what he accomplished. There's credit given to, given to Abraham because of what and who he believed. Right. He believed that God would accomplish what God had promised. By the way, that's not new in your Bible. Right. Go back to your go back to your first family. So Adam and Eve have Abel. No, they have Cain, Cain then Abel, right? Mm-hmm. I've got to get my orders here. That doesn't end well. No. So then we're dealing with Seth. To Seth, to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Why are they calling upon the name of the Lord? Because they're recognizing that they need his grace. They need his mercy. Fast forward to the next big name in your Old Testament. Who might that be? Hmm, think, think. <laughs> Got to stop before I have to pay copyright infringement. Noah's your next big guy, right? Right. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Didn't say Noah earned anything. Noah just was like, hey, look at this cool thing I got. Mm Mm-mm. It's a gift of God. Because Noah's not a good man, not by any objective standard. By your subjective standard, he's not bad. Like he got plastered once after a major tragedy. In the grand scheme of life, that's not terrible. Yeah, I can't knock him for that. Well, I can because my standard isn't me. My standard is God. And God should knock him for that. But in his grace and mercy, God is able to overlook those sins, trusting in the work of Christ. See the difference? Definitely. But, you know, when I look at my life... Oh, no, no. If I was Noah, yeah. I'm blitzed, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't have been off the boat. I'd been like, wee, we going up, yeah. we're going down, we're drinking one, we're drinking... Look, I get it. 
It took him a while to grow the grapes, too, so he waited a long time for that. <laughs> he was staring at those plants like, come on now. Come on. Come on. Big money, no whammy. Big money, no whammy. Come on, baby. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Stomping those grapes out like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then yeah. I got to ferment it. Oh, my good. I mean, oh, yeah. He drank all the wine because yeah. he waited for it. He drank all. And, again, I don't blame the guy. I'm not saying it makes it right. No. Because no. I'm not the standard. Well, stupid things happen when you lose consciousness. <laughs> Yo, exactly. But again, God is the standard, and that's why we can point to this and say, no, it's not good. Right. Look, by the alcoholic guy down the street, he's a great dude. But by God's holy perfection, he is not. That's the standard. This is why Christ comes. And again, Noah, who finds favor with God, is not good, which should tell you that it's not based on Noah. It's based on God and his mercy and grace. Yeah, and you touch on you touched on it a little bit earlier. It's not new. You know, grace no. is not new to the New Testament. Grace can be found all the way back in the beginning. Beginning of mankind. Absolutely, because you see that with Adam and Eve, you see that for everything. Right. So, continue on. This is something that Paul has has built out earlier in Romans 2. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. See, the Christian says, I want that. I want each person to be rendered according to his deeds. Why would the Christian say that? Because in Christ, my deeds are seen through his righteousness. It's not my good deeds that are being judged. It's Christ's good deeds that are being judged. And his work's perfect. Right. right, right. His I mean, goodness. That's not to say that you're, you're not supposed to walk in the works prepared before in advance. No, that's, that's not what we're saying no, here. No, not in the least. Yeah. My point, though, is I want everybody judged according to what they've accomplished. Right. Because in Christ, my works are good because they are Holy Spirit-empowered, Holy Spirit-led, and they are sanctified in the blood of the Lamb. I'm clean doesn't mean everything I do is perfect. It means everything that I do is spurred on by the grace of God and meant as an offering to him. Sometimes my offering turns to crud because I went in the wrong direction. That doesn't mean I have been lost. It means that work has been lost. You suffer loss. Like, yeah, like I've suffered, said. but I have not. Yeah. The work is gone. I am still good. And I recognize that that work is no good because I have been confronted in my sin. I have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I have been redeemed by Christ. So I work anew and recognize that when I get to the end, it's not my work that's going to be judged. It's Christ's work that is going to be counted worthy. And all of the things that I have offered in him will likewise be seen as worthy, and everything else will be cast aside. Mm-hmm good, bad, or otherwise. I don't have to fear and worry. I have everything that I need because I have Christ. Why can I say that? Verse 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, I say that because I'm not leaning on my works at the gates. So we're using the bad, you know, analogy. Like, when I get to the pearly gates with St. Peter, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to stand there and present him my good works as the reasons yeah, why I resume. should enter. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I like, well, here's everything that I did in the Holy Spirit. This is why I have proved my salvation and you should let me in. Yeah. I'm be like, no, there's Jesus and I'm with him. Please, Lord, say he's with me. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say. 
That's my plea. My plea is not, look at my great works. My plea is, Lord, I loved your son. Mm-hmm. I, I sought to honor him with all that I am because of what he has done for me and because of what he has revealed to me about who you are and how broken I am. That's my plea. Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was the cry on the cross. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Mm-hmm. Not it is begun. Not it is started. Not we got the ball rolling. Not, all right, guys, you take it from here. It is finished. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. Christ has accomplished this. My good works are an offering of faith. They are an offering in salvation, not an offering for salvation. That is always a distinction we have to make sure we draw. That's what Paul is trying to explain here. Abraham has works to offer. He has circumcision. He has the I offered Isaac. He has the I trained and got Isaac a bride from the people not of the land because you're going to judge and kill them all. He has actual things that he could say, these are my works. None of those are why he is righteous. Yeah, for sure. He is righteous because he believed in God, trusted in the promises, and God redeemed him. That's why he's righteous. End of discussion. That's why go to God, go to the Gospel of Mark. What's Jesus' first words in that gospel? When a, the reason I always go to that is because when Peter was Mark is a collection of the teachings of Peter. Basically, Mark is Peter's gospel. Mm-hmm. So Peter preaching around Rome and in the surrounding areas, what does he start with? First words of Jesus that he proclaims to the people? Repent and believe in the good news. What's the good news? That Christ has come to save sinners. I mean, if you're Peter standing on a street corner trying to, trying to disciple people, what would you start with? Hey, you, repent yeah. and believe in the good news. We mean good news. Yeah. Ah, now let me tell you about Jesus. And that's why Mark is so punchy and quick, because Peter is just running through all the things that Jesus has done to prove that he is who he says he is, so that when he gets to the end and he has died for your sins, now we're done here. Now what? Yeah. Now you know why you should repent. Chapter 16 is a full circle of what he starts with in chapter 1. Now you know why. Right. Because he has done this, and the good news is that he has died for your sins, cleansed you of all unrighteousness by your, if you trust in him, and as you walk in faith, you will be empowered to continue on in a way that is pleasing and honoring to him because it will be, because it will be powered by him. You, you, you often say, you make an analogy, you know, when you see somebody doing something, you say, stop, you're yeah, going the you're wrong, on the wrong way. way. Well, when you're talking about repentance, that's... It, that's it's, it's turning back to God. Yeah. Not only is it you know being sorry for what you've done. It's an initial work and it's a continuing work. But it, it's also you know if you bring it back to the Hebrew teshuva, it, it is a turning back to God. Turn back. You're going the wrong way. That's what the gospel is presenting. You're going the wrong way. You're following after your own lusts and wants. Stop. Turn back to the to God. You know, Go this way, not sun. that way. Follow and again, your entire life is going to be about that <clears throat> because throughout your entire life, you are going to get stuck in your own ideas, stuck in your own head, stuck in your own ways, and you're going to realize that I've gone the wrong way. Right. That doesn't mean I have been removed from the kingdom. It means that the Holy Spirit has now convicted me of the next thing in line. Right. Now you know the sin you've got to kill. You found that one. Get to work. Get to work. That's what we do here. Yeah. We kill sin. If I'm going to kill sin for the rest of my life, you know what that means? I'm going to be finding sin for... Well, the rest of my life. doesn't mean I'm happy about it. Of course. Right? doesn't yeah. mean I resign myself to it. It's just a reality that I walk in and recognize that I'm not going to be shocked. Like, oh my goodness, I messed up today. 
How did I do that? I said something else dumb. What are the odds of that? Well, considering you're a sinful person who says the wrong thing quite a bit, quite quite high. Yeah, we always do that, don't we? Yeah, and and you're going to find yourself sitting at home going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe. Okay, congratulations, Christian. Let's move on. We don't dwell here. That has, again, as the song says, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Done. I leave that in the past, and I seek to honor better the next time. So the next time I'm finding myself in the situation, hey, don't say the dumb thing, because you remember what happened the last time you said the dumb thing? Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. do it again. It's like buyer's remorse. You always have that, yeah. oh, man, you yeah. that sinking feeling in your The in growth your of stomach. sanctification is not, <clears throat> it's not only that, I, the reason that I do that less and less as I grow in sanctification is not because I'm less sinful. I do it less and less because I'm more thoughtful. Because I have more wisdom that I am drawing from, and the thing that I would have done 20 years ago, I think about because I did the stupid thing 20 years ago, and now I look at it and go, hold up. Hold up, yeah. Let's think about this for a second. Let's not say that. Let's not do that. Let's not go this way. That's not because I'm better. Mm-hmm. It's because in, in, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I am wiser. I am evaluating. Does part of me still want that thing? Yes, congratulations. Welcome to you realizing where sin actually is. Yeah, Paul even talks about that in, yeah. in his epistles. You know, the, the growth things that of, I want to do, I don't The do. growth of wisdom is the growth in saying, no, I know better, and the Holy Spirit is spurring me. But that is not me making me more saved. That is me living rightly in my salvation. Paul makes that point clear. Mm-hmm. Just as David also speaks... Of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This is a quote. It's a quote from Psalm 32. How blessed is though is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now the question is, how? By what mechanism is sin not imputed and your, your iniquity overlooked? David actually had the answer. Let's keep reading in Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, when I buried it, when I did not confess and repent, what does it do? It eats at me. It devours me. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Ooh, what, what theological word might we use for that? You hiding your sin. You refusing to acknowledge and repent of your sin and God smacking you. Christian, that's called conviction. <laughs> that's how this works. You have sinned and God's gone, hey, doofus. You sinned, and you go, what was that? Did somebody hear? Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I thought I heard something, but I'm not quite sure. It was me. You have sinned. Oh, there it is again. No, no, not me. I couldn't have done that. That couldn't possibly be me. Ow! Right. <laughs> I mean, pins and needles, pins and needles. I mean, that's, how, that's conviction right there. God bringing your sin to your memory, you not acknowledging and repenting, and God going, okay. Yep. You got jokes? We got jokes. Therefore, I'm sorry, I got a verse ahead. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. This is called confession. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Why? Because you are saved by grace through faith. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Yeah, that's a relief, isn't it? See, that's the mechanism. See, this is not new information that Paul is dealing in. This is salvation. There's been, I've been, we have, how many times have we said this? There is one salvation in your Bible, Old to New Testament. Not two, not three, not seven, one. By grace, through faith in Christ. End of discussion. David lays this out for you right here in this psalm. Look, you're my hiding place. Why am I going to succeed? Why will I be free of the judgment on this world? Because I'm hidden in you. And I'm seeking to walk in your ways. I am studying your word. Not their word, your word. Does that that mean David was perfect all the days of his life? Oh, we we know (laughs) that that's not true. We really know that. Yeah. Go listen to Tuesday if you missed that as we're walking through worldview. We were in First Chronicles wow. where David at the end of his life is like, what's the most egregious sin I could possibly commit? Here we go! <laughs> Head for it, right? I mean, that's, I mean, does that mean David isn't saved and he doesn't make it? No. It means that sin is real and that he has a moment of weakness and he walks the wrong way. Again, what, what, what ensures us and secures us that David makes it is that when confronted with this sin, David's like, oh my goodness, I'm an idiot. Please, Lord, I am so sorry. And what does he do? He worships. Yeah. And what does God do? God relents in the judgment. Uh, yeah. Against you, O Lord, have I sinned. Yes. That's, the, that's one of his... This is, this is the, this is the hallmark. The this is how yeah. this works. That's why Paul could say in the chapter right before what we're reading in Romans 4, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his, talking about God's righteousness, his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, that's the point of all of this. Who's going to get all the credit? God. It has to be God. Who's going to get the praise? God. Who's going to accomplish all of these things? God. For those of you who listen, that's one of our worldview foundations. One of the foundations of how I construct my worldview is a recognition that God is Savior and Judge, and that it is God who accomplishes all things. Not me, God. The good that I do, I do most of the time in spite of me, because I have a Holy Spirit empowering me and teaching me right. and bringing things to remembrance to, so that when I find myself in sin and find myself trying to go into sin, I go, uh, I want to, but I can't. <laughs> right. Not because I don't want to, but because I know what that sin has cost and how can I indulge myself in it when I recognize the realities of what God has done and who Christ is. So, yeah, that's, Let's, that's, that's your conscience telling that's you. That's how this is supposed to work. And, and so, when you don't have that, that, that soft, still voice telling you that, and when you don't feel that way, look out. So let's, so let's run down these things. I know, this is, I know this is basic stuff and we all get this, but right. this is going to become important in a minute because yeah. we're going to get into a funky discussion that hopefully we have enough time for. We are saved by grace through faith. So 
does that mean now we are we are big on walking the path of sanctification we are big on encouraging you i'll point to the computer and the microphone you to walk the path of sanctification you don't just get to skip through the world and say well jesus's blood will cover this so i'm okay that's not how this works that's not how any of this works we get that does that mean that i will close my eyes in this life sinless oh, no. no not even a little bit no because there's always going to be something because again most of the time when you make the good choice and you do not walk down the indulgence of that sin, you know what you still did? You still sinned. Because you know what you did? You wanted to. Mm-hmm. You wanted to. Remember, this is what Jesus is teaching Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Sin is not outside of you, it's inside of you. You didn't sin when you slept with her. You sinned when you looked at her and went, hmm, that's a good idea. You didn't sin when you strangled the guy. You sinned when you went, Argh! in your heart. Mm-hmm. Sin is internal. So just because you have learned to not sleep with her, just because you have learned to not strangle them, doesn't mean you are sinless. It just means you have learned to not act on these things. You have learned to walk in a better way and to fight the sinful desires of your heart and mind. That's all that means. Mm-hmm. So you will die with sin. You will die in sin. You will simply not die in your sins before God. You will die in sin in your flesh. Your spirit will be redeemed. And later on, when the kingdom comes, your flesh will be redeemed as you're given a new body. But that's a different discussion for another day. So I'll make sure I cover that. Or somebody's like, oh, yeah, you said the sin was bad. You're a Gnostic. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) See, these are the random things I have to think about. Aren't you so glad you're not me? Stop nodding. Not you, them. Because they're nodding. Like, I'm so Mm -hmm. glad I'm not this guy. Now, the reason why we're going into this is because... I ran across this article. It's, oh, it's only two weeks old. I thought it was older than that. Yeah, okay, August 16th. New. All right. If you remember our SBC recap, and if you don't, go listen to our SBC recaps. They will do you good. I mentioned a gentleman that I would like launched into orbit. <laughs> He's annoying. I don't like him. And if we could sign people up for Elon Musk's trip to Mars, he's top of my list. Just because, just because when, I, when I go to a business meeting, you know what I want to do? I want to do business. Mm -hmm. And if you are impeding business in any shape, form, or fashion, I want you to sit down and shut up. doesn't mean you're a bad guy. It just means I don't like you right now because you're impeding us getting the thing done that we're here to do. I'm like an overgrown Labrador retriever when I'm willing to like that. I'm I'm here to do a job. Throw the ball already, okay? Mm. (laughs) You know that dog. Throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. When I go to a business meeting... Next thing on the task, next thing in the agenda. Let's go, let's go. We, we got business to do. I'm right. looking at my clock. I want to go home. Because <laughs> let's be honest, that's all I really want. I want to go home. But I have 15 things of business we have to do before I can go home. So when we're on seven and you're talking about your dog, you know what I want to do? Let's get back on track. I want to get to number eight so I can go home. That's all I want. So there you go. I'm not fun at business meetings. I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this um, David Bumgardner was the AC guy, and I wanted him to sit down and shut up because he would spend too much time complaining about the AC and too much time asking for people to unblock him on Twitter, and I'm not making that up. That's what he went to the microphone to talk about. (laughs) In Baptist News, which is an interesting place, Baptist News Global, he wrote a basically... Okay, Lou, tell me if this is unfair. You ready? He wrote a hit piece on John Piper. Certainly did. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's summarize this because I we, we, I can't read this to you. We'll, I'll fall asleep, you'll fall asleep, and it's it's just miserable. In a nutshell, he claims to be somebody who loved John Piper, you know, way back when, which for him, because he's in his early 20s, was like five years ago. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. Yeah, he's a young guy. <laughs> so 
back when he was young and impressionable, he loved John Piper. Now that he's older and more mature, he doesn't. <laughs> so, 17, John Piper's the bee's knees. At 22, John Piper's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, and what he hates about John Piper is John Piper has defended Jonathan Edwards. Which, if you if, look, if I was John Piper, I would defend Jonathan Edwards, too. Would you like to know why? John Piper is Jonathan Edwards in the 2000s and in the 1990s. I'm not making that up. Mm. Go read Jonathan Edwards from the 18th century, and if you compare not the language, but the themes, tone, and understanding and applications of Scripture, Jonathan Edwards in 1735 is John Piper in 2005. Mm. They're the same guy, teaching the same... Piper's Christian hedonism is an exposition on an understanding of Jonathan Edwards living unto the glory of God. <laughs> Lou's, Lou's popular today. Phone was going off earlier. Now that he answered the phone and got rid of it, so the tablet went off. <laughs> That's why I don't link mine. And, so, and I'm, by the way, I'm not kidding about the Jonathan Edwards thing. John Piper is Jonathan Edwards for the for the modern world. Well, uh, yeah, he even goes as far as he. he really says, he says that of himself. He says John, that, oh yeah. that Edwards it, it completely influenced a lot of the things yeah. that he's doing. When you're reading Christian hedonism yeah. and God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, Piper's fav, you know, famous quotes thing, mm-hmm. you're reading Edwards' understanding of religious affections and living unto the glory of God. It's, it's the same thing. And I say that as someone who has actually read Jonathan Edwards and John Piper. So I, I know of which I speak here. Now, Piper's defending Edwards because Edwards is under attack, as is George Whitfield, the great evangelist, because they they wore the scarlet letter of the 2020s. They owned slaves. Right. Now, keep in mind, we didn't look up Whitfield. We double-checked Edwards. Edwards died in 1758. That's a long time ago, guys. Um, the slave trade won't be abolished for another 60 years. 1820s, I want to say, is the slave trade. If it's not the 1820s, it's the 1840s is the slave trade. So that's another 60 to 80 years. Slavery in what will then be the United States. It's not even the United States in 1758. It's the colonies. Slavery won't be abolished until 1863 legally and practically 1865, a full century after the death of Jonathan Edwards. So is Jonathan Edwards a man of his time? Yes, we all are. We all are. Now, Bumgardner wants to cast aspersions on Piper because he wants to cast aspersions on Edwards Mm -hmm. and basically say, no, they could not have been redeemed. They could not have been saved because they owned slaves. Couldn't be done. Now, we can get into the practicality of that argument about how you treat slavery because okay, this is a conversation Lou and I had. We, we can't go into it now, but I'll ask it this way. Do you think it's possible that you could make a biblical justification and okay of the institution of slavery? Broad brush. Mm-hmm. Is that a possibility? I think it is. I think it is also. Yeah. I don't remember what chapter it is in Exodus right now because they all run together, but I think I did that a few weeks ago might be a couple months ago now, when that's part of the Mosaic law handed down on Exodus. How do you treat your slaves? The assumption being, you're going to have them. Some of it is indentured servitude. Some of it is POWs. Some of it is just general, 
you know what? I'm hiring you, and I'm not paying you, but I'll feed you. <laughs> it means <clears throat> there are different avenues, and there are regulations on it. I don't think God is giving regulations on slavery because he's tolerating their sin and just managing it better. I think he's giving regulations on it because he's okay with it. Because it is a means of protection and security for humanity and its flourishing. It's a protection on families. It's a protection on people. It's a protection on industry. All of these things are true. And I think you can make a biblical case from it. Now, can you make a biblical case for the stealing of people into slavery? No. 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 That's that's specifically... I'm glad you made that distinction. That is specifically people, condemned in yeah. the Levitical Code. Yeah. If you steal, if you kidnap, it's called man-stealing, but if you kidnap someone for the explicit purpose of enslaving them, you are to be put to death. Right. If you are caught, you are to be put to death. That's just how this works. So you then have to deal with what was going on in the American colonies and in really the entirety of humanity. Right. Until 20 minutes ago, because I got real bad news for you about slavery. It's still going on. That's So yeah, you that's, have, that's you have to deal with that. Yep. Now, if you want to make the argument that the slave trade, because it is kidnapping, is illegal, I'm not going to argue with you. I get it. But how connected is the market in the colonies to that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. If you're asking me, could someone in 1740 make a justification for the purchase of a slave in a market. Treat them well, treat them in accordance with biblical principles, and do right by these people. And could he then justify his purchase of that person in a market and do it biblically and have a clear conscience? I think so. I think he could also. I think he absolutely could. You and I may disagree with him. Yeah. Look, you're talking to someone who has read John Calvin's Institutes and made notes where I disagreed with John Calvin. Okay, I'm not above disagreeing with someone. Does that mean John Calvin's in hell? No. I've read Martin Luther. There are places I disagree with him. There's places I disagree with Ulrich Zwingli. <clears throat> There's places I agree with Erasmus, who was a Catholic priest. Right. There's places I agree with and disagree with on Augustine. Most of them are, I mean, almost all of them are not salvation-level issues. They're church governance issues. They're understandings of grace and sanctification. doesn't mean they're in hell for these things. There are places where I think these people sinned. I think Martin Luther sinned at the end of his life when he wrote against Jews. I also say this as someone who has read what Martin Luther has written against Jews and said, knowing Martin Luther's history with the Jewish population of Germany, I understand why he wrote what he wrote. And I understand why Martin Luther was able to justify to himself why he wrote what he wrote. I still think it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think it's disqualifying. See the difference? Now, I say all of that because we have to recognize that we are all, 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 products of our time and culture. And we seek to be as biblical as possible at all times. Mm -hmm. But because we are products of our time and our culture, we are going to have things that are influenced and we are going to have things that we potentially get wrong because we have evaluated them. We have evaluated our Bible with our culture in mind. As much as we may seek to avoid doing that, it is almost unavoidable. Almost unavoidable. We seek to be real, tr- real careful with it, but it's almost unavoidable. Why do I say all of this? Because when I am evaluating people of the past, 
I must evaluate them from a biblical standpoint. Here's why. I think Bumgardner, I think his senior pastor, who's Dwight McKissick, who has 27 things that I disagree with him on, I think they do a terrible job of failing to take cultural influence into account when evaluating the people of the past. They hold them to a rigid standard. And they do that because they hold them to a rigid cultural standard of today. Right, right. We're, we're bringing it forward <laughs> instead of evaluating it in the time and season that they were in. We're assuming yeah. that the only possible reason you would, you would take into account what goes on in the slave trade is because you're just a racist scumbag of a human being. Now, did those people exist? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think you can argue that they didn't. Does that mean that every single person everywhere who ever owned a slave was that? I don't think you can make that argument. Yeah, you don't know every single person, and you don't, certainly don't know their hearts. That's above our pay grade. But this is my point, is to sit there and say, well, because you own slaves, you obviously did not esteem them as the same. You looked at this from a different perspective. Therefore, you are wrong and you're in hell. That's a mischaracterization of one, how we understand culture now and then. Bigger than that, though, get back to our foundation and why that Romans 4 passage is so important. That's a misunderstanding of how are we saved. <clears throat> how are we saved? By grace, through faith, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what Christ has done and whether or not we have trusted in that work. Now, again, will I present my works as offered in Christ? Yes. Will I present them as a argument for salvation? No. 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 I will yeah. present them as an offering of worship. You ready for why that's important and why that distinction matters? Because I think you could look at 17, 18th century America, early 18th century America. Again, Jonathan Edwards died in 1758. So early 18th century America, height of the French and Indian War, all of that stuff. And I think you could sit there and say, Lord... I treated these people well. Lord, I followed your precepts in how you care for the servants under my custody. Mm -hmm. I fed them. I treated them. I gave them clear expectations. I, gave, I did all of these things as an act of worship because this is legal, and this is how I can care for my fellow man. And I think you could present that to God as an act of worship. Now, you may be wrong. I may be wrong right now as I'm trying to explain this, but if, I think my conscience is clear. And if the Holy Spirit hasn't brought conviction to me, then kind of hard to make the point, isn't it? You're going to have to at least give me some Bible verses. You have to at least point me in the direction of where my conscience has been misguided and where my biblical understanding is wrong. And you could say, well, Wilberforce did that. Awesome. Wilberforce wasn't around yet. The, under, the, the attacking of the real problem, which was the actual kidnapping and stealing of people at its source... That was the issue. Yeah. Eliminate that, and the rest of this almost goes away. But here's the fun part. All right, let's, uh, let, me, let me look this up real well, quick. One of the, one of the problems that I have with this movement that's going on right now is, is the lack of accountability upon people of their own ethnicity, meaning African people. The country of Africa was a strong, mighty nation. You weren't just going to Anglo-Saxon people 
the European people, they weren't just going to walk into Africa and start taking people. <laughs> African people sold African people to Anglo-Saxon or, or European people, I should say. And that's how it got started. Yeah. So it's, it's not a simply a white thing. No. And I was right about Wilberforce. Wilberforce was born in 1759, the year after Edwards died. Right. He dies in 1833. Slave trade, the Atlantic, transatlantic slave trade was abolished in 1808. Now, if you're looking at me and saying, well, they got rid of man stealing. So how did we still have slaves in the 1830s? We weren't stealing them. We're raising them. Right. They're right. part of families. Yeah. Now, again, make the argument. But if you looked at me and said, well, slaveholders made the argument that they were following the commands of Exodus and Leviticus, treating these people well and doing that, then you know whose conscience that's on? It's on their conscience. It's on theirs, not mine. Yeah. It's on theirs. Yeah. Because they looked at a biblical command and said, this is how I can do this. This is how I can live. We've got to get out of this idea, and you're exactly right here. We've got to get out of this idea that we are the smart ones. We are in control of everything. And this one group, specifically the intersectional crisis, and these white people are the cause of all evil everywhere. I remember I mentioned earlier that slavery is still enforced. You know who's doing that? Brown people typically to other brown people. Well, you've got the human trafficking issues, and, and our country is still involved with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, most countries are. This is one of the issues. This is one of the arguments that they still have for outlawing prostitution because the number of girls they get trafficked into prostitution. Right. It's not that it's not the the issue with prostitution. It's the issue of the things that go on behind the scenes. Regardless of how you feel about any of that, it's a degrading profession. Oh, I'm not I'm not making the argument one I mean, way or no, the other. I get, I get that, but, but uh, what I'm saying is the yeah. the biggest issue is not so much that profession. It's the things that go behind the scenes and how that works, the way people are treated, and the way people get in and out of that. Typically, is what's even more horrid. Right. And you see that in countries where it is legalized, where these women are engaged in a legal occupation, even though it's prostitution, but they're not there willingly. There's, so you've legalized the one thing, but you still have the secondary issue. Welcome to modern-day slavery. And you see this in Middle Eastern countries, and you'll see this still in African countries. You'll see this in all sorts of countries. This is not just the trafficking aspect, but literal what you would consider you know, ancient slavery that you don't think is practiced anymore is still practiced. That's not the problem. The problem is we're not dealing with our world honestly. We want to blame the wrong people for the wrong things. So was Edwards right? I have no idea. Is Piper right for defending him? I think so because I think I've made a decent case that I could justify why Edwards was doing it and what he was doing. If I was alive, I might have made the same argument. I might have been on the Wilberforce side of the argument. William Wilberforce wasn't the first person to show up and be like, hey, slavery's bad. We should get rid of this. Right. He was building on the work of others. I think Paul actually makes a compelling argument in Philemon that, you know, hey, I would really like for you to let Onesimus go. You don't have to, but I would really like for you to too. Yeah, and Paul even makes the argument, I could command you to do it, but what I would like for you to do is this. Treat him like a brother and let him be of use to the kingdom and do this. Mm -hmm. That's an argument. Paul could have said slavery's bad on Philemon, let him go. He doesn't, because Paul has a context, and that context is based on Scripture, and it's based upon the law, and he's following that. And I think you could build off of that, and Edwards could have done that, and Piper defending Edwards could do the same thing. My complaint is, again, I'm smart, because I'm here in 2021, and I'm at this multicultural church, and we have an intersectional understanding, and we're fixing all the race, race relations problems on the planet because of all blah, 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 blah. And we're smart, and we're right, and you're dumb, and you're wrong. 
that's the bigger issue because what again what is what does that end up doing? Well, he's part of a movement. Uh, well, agreed. Yeah. yeah, but my point is, what does that lead to? Mm-hmm. It leads to the biggest issue, which is Edwards couldn't possibly be saved by grace through faith because look at this sin that he's got. Now I have bastardized soteriology. I have brought the doctrine of salvation to ruin because of my pet peeve. I made mention earlier before we started that this is, this is actually a Catholic view, a Roman Catholic view of salvation. Yeah. It's Edwards had a blind spot that we have decided is a disqualifying sin. So we have decided that slavery and slaveholding is a mortal sin, and he died unrepentant of this mortal sin, therefore he can't possibly be saved. That's Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. That's saying that because you sinned, you are cast out. And the only the way you could have been saved was you had to repent and offer absolution. You had to, yeah, you had to free the slaves and fight against it. It's tough to put yourself in a perspective where you're trying to take into consideration what was going on during Edwards's life. Oh, I know. So, and, and we always evaluate things from our perspective and today. And that's my point. And our, and our perspective always assumes that who's the smart one. We're the smart ones, yeah. And my point is, and so that's the argument, is because you didn't offer penance for this mortal sin, you're cast out of the kingdom. Right. That's above our pay grade. Agreed. I mean, we can, if we see somebody beating a person and forcing them into slavery today, we can make a judgment and say, that's wrong. Even if you want to make that judgment on Edwards? Yeah. Is there no possibility that Edwards made a biblical case and a righteous justification for why he could partake of something that was legal in his day mm-hmm. and view it as morally upright and good and do that with a clean conscience? I think he could. And I could even look at him and say he's wrong and then say, you know what, when I see you in eternity, I'll explain to you why you're wrong. It depends on what, what you mean by legal. I mean, man's law is not above God's law. No, agreed. But if he is trying to live out his faith and he's trying to do things in accordance to the law. That's my point. Yeah. If, if this, so my point is, so this was legal by man's law. Is it possible that Edwards looked at something that was legal by man's law and said, here's where it's allowed in God's law. Mm-hmm. Here's how I engage in it in a God-honoring way, right. and my conscience is perfectly clear. Right. I get it. I get it now. Yep. Could he have said that? I think so. Now, I, now, here's the thing. Can I look back through history and say, I think you're wrong, but you're still my brother? What is this obsession that we have today where you, we're constantly going back into history, condemning and canceling people and culture, and, 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 and then we, we run around virtue signaling like we're so much better than everybody. Because... Welcome to chronological snobbery. I'm smart because I'm here and now and you're dumb. The things that are going on today and now are an abomination. Because it's my my culture that influences my soteriology, not the other way around. And look, I've had to have these uncomfortable conversations with people. Look, you're in sin. You need to walk away. I'm not saying you're not a brother, but you need to walk away. And look, here's the thing. If you can never walk away from that sin, there's all the testimony I need. Right. I don't have to worry about the judgment. God will. But here's what I am going to do. I'm not going to let you continue on like that and be a part of our fellowship. This is why we have church discipline. We've done that here. We've done that here at our church. Mm -hmm. When we've said, you you can't live like this and be a part of the ministry of this church. Right, and people have walked away. And and people have chosen their sin and walked in that direction. You know what? 
Whose decision is that? It's theirs. I don't love it, yeah. but you, you know how much sleep I've lost over it? Well, you can't. None. You, yeah, you can't. Because you'll make that. your decisions, you right decision. and I have to do what is right in the sight of God. And mm-hmm. what he tells me is that where we find the sin in my life, your life, and everybody's life is we seek to kill it. And if you're unwilling to do that, right. you're removing yourself from consideration, not me. Yeah. I'm not calling you unsaved. You're calling you unsaved because you're not willing to confront the sin. And you know what? If five years down the road you confront that sin and you come back and you say, I'm sorry I was wrong, you know what we're going to do? We're going to high-five, say praise Jesus, and let's get back to work. Let's get back to work. Because, you know what? Because maybe you needed those five years. Maybe you needed that wandering, whatever it is you needed. And we celebrate that. And maybe you never get there. Right. And I, maybe I actually do see you in eternity. And you know what I'll say? Good job. Good job. Yeah, you made it. Because... God has redeemed you. Praise and, God. More and you fought and you lost a lot of battles. But you know what I credit you? You know what that tells me? You were fighting. Yep. And I appreciate that. Yep. And you know what that tells me? Maybe we jumped the gun. And you know how much sleep I'm going to lose over that? None. Because I have to deal with what I've been given and what I've been taught and how I live. And I can't judge the heart. I have to let God do that. Yep. And that means sometimes when I look at the outside, I'm going to be right. And sometimes when I look at the outside, I'm going to be wrong. And you know who I trust for the outcome? Christ. Because right. if I'm wrong... God's going to preserve you. He's going to put you in a fellowship of believers who are going to work with you and get you to overcome that, and he will accomplish all of those good things. I don't have to fear because God accomplishes those things. But that's, that's the reason, because I want my holiness when? No. And that's what you're seeing. Yeah. We have to disqualify him because he can't possibly get there. Because if he, can't, if he can get there, then what does that say about that guy over there that I hate? And what does it say about that guy over there that I'm trying to cast aspersions on? Yeah, that's why, that's why I, I can see the link that you're, you're making between Catholicism mm-hmm. and this ideology. It's, it's, it's the same totally, thing. They're totally... The, differ- the, the place where I give the Roman Catholics a little bit of credit for is they at least think their penance accomplishes something. Mm-hmm. The woke gospel has no accomplishing penance. You never get out of purgatory in the woke gospel. Well, you've got to constantly repent of your whiteness. How and, do you do and that? And that's the problem. How do you do that? We were born this way. Know. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't know. I mean, <coughs> I mean I'm mean, i Hispanic and Italian, but I mean, if, if somebody looked you. at me, they would still say, you're a white boy. <laughs> you're a white dude. Yeah. So, I mean, how am I getting Play that funky music, white boy. Come on yeah, now. Play that funky Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We went there. We went there. So, this is, this is the problem, and this is the distinctions that are being drawn. Now, the reason, again, the reason why I point this out is because, Christian, how do you confront this stuff? Get back to your Bible. Right. How am I saved? How do I work out that salvation, and what does that call me to? Now evaluate. If the person you're listening to or arguing with is not getting you back to a biblical foundation, then stop arguing about the culture. You know what you need to argue about? Get back to the basics. Get back to that biblical foundation and have the real fight. And if I could sit in the room with this guy, that would be the conversation I want to have. If you say Piper's disqualified and you say Edwards is disqualified, how are they saved? How is anybody saved? Because if they're disqualified, what makes that sin so disqualifying? And then what actually overcomes that sin? Because now we're back to having a biblical conversation. Christian, this is the, this is the, this is the standard you want. When Jesus tells you, judge not so that you are not judged, because by the standard you judge, so you will be judged, that's why that's good news for the Christian. For these guys, not good news because they're using a worldly standard. Right. But my standard is my sin is covered in Christ and my righteousness is granted by Christ and my works are offered in Christ. Therefore, they're good. Mm-hmm. They're saying, no, your works, if they're sinful, are bad. Your works, if they're offered by the wrong starting point, as we've defined it, are bad. Therefore, they are bad. Well, what happens when I apply that standard to you? 
the whole gospel falls apart. Apply my standard to Edwards, and I can say Edwards makes it because it is grace that covers and grace that saves. So. We don't know his motives and why. Well, and that's my point. You know, why he, he kept slaves and what kind of... And I mean, you can a, read books if you want. And for but, a dude that's been dead for almost 300 years, yeah. you know what? I don't want to evaluate his heart because you know who I have to assume already did that? Because he tells us he did? God did. Yeah. And God will make the determination. Right. And if Edwards was a giant hypocrite, all right then. Read a religious affections. It'll do you good. Understanding the difference between true and false conversion and right proclamation of a love of God. Edwards nailed it during the Great Awakening. He had it absolutely right on what was a good outpouring of the Spirit and what was a false outpouring of the Spirit. It's a blessing. Read his works because they are good for you. Now, if you're going to tell me that man had a couple of blind spots and got some things wrong, I'd go, okay, I believe that. But you don't get the level of wisdom and discernment that he had without some Holy Spirit guidance. Which means even if you think he's wrong, rejoice in the fact that God saved that sinner. Mm -hmm. As wrong as he is, that God can save a man like that and work through him. Canceling people who have, you know, been influenced by the work. And that way, when you get to eternity, you can celebrate when you high-five Jonathan Edwards, and you can celebrate when you high-five John Piper, Mm -hmm. and you can celebrate when you high-five Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. Old Nebby. Old Nebby. Mm -hmm. And the bunny. You can celebrate because you can sit there and go, man, God's grace is so good that it saved all of us. A wretch like Like me. me. Mm -hmm. Who'd have thunk it? Mm -hmm. So what have we learned here today, children? (laughs) God saves by grace through faith. No saved person is or ever has been perfect. And sanctification is literally a lifelong process. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can also send anything you want us to look at, quite doctrinal questions that you may have. This is what we do. This is where we have fun. This is a thrill for us. So send it. We'll work on it. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.